Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 11th of February 2020. Mark Pender is the other side of the water stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, it's a coronavirus that continues to dominate most of the media headlines, although equity markets are doing a pretty good job at ignoring them, or at least anticipating only a temporary and probably just a small hit to global demand. However, with so many uncertainties involved, this may be too optimistic particularly given the vulnerability of many economies to disruptions to global supply chains. Talk about a V-shaped rather than a U-shaped bounce back in economic activity could yet prove premature. In any event, central banks seem to be taking more note. And with this in mind, we have Fed Chief Jerome Powell testifying to Congress both today and tomorrow. So, Mark, Mr. Powell finished his address just a short while ago, at least his Uh first one. How concerned do you think the Fed is now about the virus? And and while we're on the central bank, Mm -hmm. what do you think they made of January's employment report? Well, uh, the well, uh, uh, let's step back before um, um, uh, the virus. uh, Jerome Powell highlighted it as a risk and that they're monitoring it. Uh, uh, They um, don't expect uh, they they do say that uh, it could spill into the global economy. But right now, um, it's not a major risk. It hasn't changed their balance uh, uh, of risks in their outlook. Um, so I, it's wait and see on the coronavirus. Before talking about jobs and how the Fed uh, probably um, looked at uh, the January report, um, which was very strong, which uh, which lacked the wage pressures. Let's all, let's turn um, to something that came out this morning, which was job openings. Now, in his statement, Powell noted that job openings remain plentiful, which was an interesting thing for him to comment on because um, just as he was delivering his uh, commentary, uh, the job openings report came out, and actually they were very low. It was at two year, roughly two year lows relative to. Um, uh, the number of unemployed looking for work, and um, also uh, relative to hires. So what that so higher so the separation between openings and hires is narrowing very uh, sharply, which means less and less uh, wage pressure. Which means the demand for uh, labor relative to supply has been easing. So that's so, sorry, not, just quickly interrupt that. Is this is this number particularly volatile, or I mean, do we place that much attention on this particular number, or do we look at a series and see what the trends like? No, it's a legit number. It's done by the Labor Department. It's done by, by the, uh, the the same bureau that's uh, calculating the employment report. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a it is a legit number. It came out to six point four two three million uh, openings uh, in uh, December. It does lag by a month, um, but there were five point seven five three million unemployed. Now um, uh, that number has also been shrinking. So, uh, so there's uh, you know fewer job openings and fewer people looking for work, and uh, then but and the number of hires uh, relative to hires has been going up or narrowing. So that uh, means that demand relative uh, for labor relative to supply is going down, and for a Fed that's trying to uh, create inflationary pressures, uh, wage growth. Doesn't look like it's going to participate in this. Hmm. Uh, so I think that uh, it actually, for the markets, that's a really it's it's not a bad um, indication because we're getting uh, the kind of the best of both worlds. We're getting very strong levels of uh, full employment at the same time. We're not getting um, any uh, inflation that would trigger a rate action by the Fed. 
Okay, interesting. So, I mean, uh, uh, does, did Powell come across as still being confident the Fed's going to meet its inflation objectives? Yes, he's saying that it's he's repeating uh, uh, prior comments that um, uh, inflation is likely to, to move toward their two percent goal. Like again, it's one point six percent of the PCE last, uh, both overall and both for the core. Uh, in uh, January's data, so it's supposed to get up to two percent, and uh, it, it may be uh, approaching that. But now we also have a decline in the price of oil, which is tied to to the virus, and 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 perhaps to lower demand expectations for uh, for fuel in uh, China. So it doesn't look like it's a very inflationary environment. But I'm sure he'll be addressing. Uh, that in his commentary this week, as he as he begins to take uh, questions and answers. Um, well, let me get let me offer let me uh, switch gears if I can. Today, out of the UK, we had um, uh, a run of data, and it was interesting the separation between the uh, GDP for December and the GDP for the fourth quarter. I mean, were they were they one that the quarter seemed to end on a on a on a, on a good note. But overall, the quarter wasn't so hot. I mean, uh, yeah, that's I think that's exactly right. And I guess I suppose it's kind of gives something to the hawks and the doves alike, as far as the MPC is concerned. So, as you mentioned, in terms of December, now we have this uh, this monthly suite of uh, GDP figures out of the UK that showed a, a monthly increase in total output of 0.3 percent, a little bit stronger than expected, and also large enough to wipe out the the 0.3 percent decline we saw in mid quarter. So, at least as you mentioned, we had a, a pretty respectable. Uh, end to 2019 for the UK. However, uh, these monthly numbers are volatile and you're putting a straight line through it for the fourth quarter. Well, the level of GDP in the fourth quarter was unchanged from its level in the third quarter, which certainly indicates a slowdown, I think, in underlying momentum. That said, again, if you're looking perhaps to be from the more hawkish side, the good news within that is that the third quarter number itself, growth there prior to today's release was put at 0.3% quarter on quarter. Quarter, that's been revised up to 0.5%, which, to be honest, by UK standards at the moment, particularly if you believe what the Bank of England's thinking about, that really constitutes a, a, a pretty good number indeed. So I think really you can say that you know the, it, the economy ended okay, uh, but was certainly slowed down during the course of the second half of last year. And it really now comes down to uh, what is going to happen as far as January is concerned. Um, I think really in terms of you know the December data themselves, they probably at least slowed slightly reduced pressure on the bank to come out and cut interest rates. Um, but as they said at their last meeting, you know, the first quarter is going, to have to sh is going to have to show some kind of rebound in overall economic activity if markets at least aren't going to start speculating very quickly about a near-term cut in interest rates. Next BOE meeting is what in uh, March time, so we'll have at least some numbers coming through for the first quarter, hard numbers by them for the first quarter, and they're going to be particularly important to what happens to the pound and sterling markets in general. Net trade looked to be a, a positive here. It's Don't fair. mention net trade. Oh, I hate the net trade numbers. I really do. With, with, with a passion. I think it's quite interesting. You can almost get anything at all now out of the UK trade statistics and financial markets completely and utterly ignore them. Now, it should be mentioned that the, the trade numbers, which I know perhaps quite a lot of attention is placed stateside and obviously with the, you know, the US um, Chinese trading relationship and everything else, a lot of uh, financial market weight is attached to those numbers. But it when it comes to the UK, well, the trade figures over here 
here. They lost their so-called national statistics status uh, back in November of 2014. Ever since when the national statistics have been trying to improve the quality of these figures, but markets by and large don't really believe them. So just to quickly put a few numbers into the pot. Today we saw the, the main focus number for the UK is the trading global goods. Uh, so the goods side of the merchandise trade balance, that showed a surplus of just under one billion, which is an all time record high. Previously, we had uh, a deficit of just over around about five billion. And for months and months prior to that, we've been running in double digit deficits. Now, the reason for the improvement into a surplus as far as uh, December is concerned, is that we had a monthly increase in exports of 17.4% which is a positively ridiculous number. Now, it looks as if by far and away the bulk of that came out of um, semi-pressure stones or non-monetary gold, which goes straight into the UK accounts because London is such an important gold billion trading centre. Um, inflows and outflows of gold billion can have a big big impact upon uh, what's going on in the headline trade numbers. And it seems as if it's had a particularly big impact this time round. And to be honest, if you strip out the, the various erratics, and that means you know, non-monetary gold, precious jewels, and also oil, which has a big impact on the UK trade figures as well, then we're still talking about a, an underlying trade deficit of around about seven and a half billion or so or something like that. So there may have been a slight improvement, but nothing like what's indicated simply by looking at the headline number. What is the outlook for trade um, post-Brexit? Don't know is the very honest answer to that, because really, until we get these trade negotiations finalised, um, and that's presumably going to take until the end of this year, which is the deadline, nobody really knows quite what's going to happen. As it currently stands, it would appear that Boris Johnson and co are trying to sort out as many different uh, trade deals as he can with countries outside of the EU, while at the same time trying to cherry pick and get the best possible deals he can with the European Union, which we which we've only just left, of course. So put that little lot together, and I mean, it's trying to get a you know a round peg in a square hole. It, it ain't going to work. Um, exactly what bits he's going to finally get out of, you know, which particular areas, we'll simply have to wait and see. Um, but it is clearly extremely important for financial markets because you know UK is a very open economy, exports a very big share of UK GDP. You're talking what about 25% or so. Um, so what happens to uh, UK trade will have big implications for the way UK GDP. GDP growth and interest rates, and obviously everything else pans out in the future. Okay, can we shift to Germany real fast? Yeah, um, please do, because I want to touch on Germany. Okay, go well. I wanted to ask about trade in Germany and uh, if there's any kind of um, a similar issues about the, um, the quality of their data uh, or how closely trade is, is watched in uh, Germany relative to something like industrial production. We also had industrial production coming out uh, today out of the UK. But what do you see for a German GDP um, as coming out Friday? It is. That's right. And it's a good, it's a good one to talk about. And let me just back up a little bit and say from the way the Eurozone as a whole is looking at the moment. And always remember that you know, you know, Germany is the best part of 30% of the entire Eurozone. December for the Eurozone is looking, well, really pretty awful. Uh, we've had December retail sales, which for the Eurozone as a whole were down 1.6% on the month. That's their fourth decline in the last six months. Um, is their worst performance on a monthly basis since 
since March 2008. Now, why is that? And it takes us to your question about Germany. Well, Germany is really struggling at the moment. We're seeing horrible numbers on sales. We're also seeing, in particular, still horrible numbers um, on industrial production. So for German IP for December, we saw a monthly collapse of some 3.5%. That takes the level of output down to its weakest level since August 2014. That really just highlights what Dar states German manufacturing is in at the moment. Now, it means that for the fourth quarter for German goods producing sector, uh, the quarterly change was very nearly down 2%. So we're really talking about deep recession. And just to rub salt into the wound, um, orders are still declining as well. On a fourth quarter basis, they were down another 0.6%. So Germany at the moment is really giving the, you know, the Eurozone a major problem. Now, talk about German GDP uh, on Friday. The market call on that at the moment is for an increase of 0.1%. But to be honest, in light of the industrial production figures we had out last week, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some Something weaker than that. And, for and, the this, Euro- and this is yep. tied to global markets. Sorry, say again. Is this tied to global markets? It's part. It's certainly partly tied to German uh, to um, global markets because what we have seen amongst Europe is um, with the problems for global trade we've had over the last what couple of years or so. Best part of one country which has been disproportionately hit has been Germany, simply because exports are so important to the German economy. Now, depending upon which quarter you pick, overall exports can be worth half of entire German GDP. So we've seen exports being hit quite significantly by the slowdown in global growth in world trade. Uh, Talks about tariffs between the EU and um, the US, problems just generally with what's going on. And Germany has been disproportionately impacted by it. And it looks now, I mean, say we've got the the slump in German industrial production uh, down three and a half percent um, in December. If we overlay that with the other countries had out, France was down 2.8%, Spain 1.4%, Italy 2.7%. And that's three quarters of the total Eurozone industrial production. So it looks as if the industrial production figures out of the Eurozone on Wednesday morning are really going to look pretty horrible. And we'll well, certainly con- where did all this come from? The forecasters weren't uh, didn't see this. I don't remember anything in the news indicating some. This is almost like a dislocation, right? It is. I mean, I mean, I suppose you're trying to find any kind of positive spin on this. Is the fact that the numbers really are awful? I mean, it's not just Germany, but you know, no one was expecting to see French industrial production down two point eight. Um, Italy, we know, has been weak, but not down 2.7% week. So it may be the case that it's, you know, comes back to something we talked a little bit before about, which is, you know, the seasonal adjustment process. And around the turn of the year, we know it is difficult to get the seasonals right. So, I mean, to be honest, I mean, December is guaranteed for Eurozone industrial production is going to look terrible, full stop. But it may be the case that we're going to see some kind of bounce back in January. Obviously, we don't know yet, but that's what the best we can hope for at the moment because the fourth quarter is looking bad. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, you're talking about um, the Fed seem to be quite happy the way things are going at the moment. Uh Well, there's talk now coming out from some sources suggesting that some of the smaller countries um, on the East, on the European Central Bank's governing council are already starting to try to push for another cut in interest rates. And that's to reflect the fact that the economic data, which remember when Christine Lagarde came in just a few months ago, Uh she was starting to sound, you know, just this little bit cautiously upbeat and 
everyone was saying, oh, perhaps the worst is over for the Eurozone economy. Well, the numbers, by and large, have been disappointing out the Eurozone. Mm. But still this perceived risk that we could get you know, a hard Brexit once we get to the end of these trade negotiations, if they don't go well, that certainly would be a big negative for the Eurozone. And of course, you know, that's all against the background of this coronavirus, which you know, oh. we don't know how big an impact that's going to have. Oh, so, well, well, speaking of the slower, uh, the lower, um, the smaller countries in Europe, is it when Germany sneezes, everyone gets the flu? I mean, how are they doing? Are, are they well, suffering? It is. It is. I mean, growth looks to have pretty well dried up as far as a lot of a smaller country is concerned. And, and that's also true of the early indications we've had coming out of you know, the survey data for, for the start of 2020. And yes, because Germany is the powerhouse um, of Europe. In fact, as you say, if Germany starts sneezing, then you know, the other countries dotted around it catch a cold pretty quickly as well. So I think, again, we're going to see more pressure on the German administration to do something towards you know boosting fiscal policy with a view to getting growth going again so um, now w what about all those rate cuts last year we've been waiting for them to take effect are we giving up on this now well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I think um, Lagarde in some of their opening speeches was intimating, you know, policy is extremely competitive. And while she expected it to remain so, the expectation was that succession of rate cuts plus the quantitative easing, which, you know, we're back into quantitative ease, easing mode from the ECB again now, should start to have some kind of impact. But yeah, the, the bottom line is it's not giving the kind of boost to GDP that people expected it to. Or if it is, then the underlying situation was a good deal weaker than you know than originally anticipated now just quickly before we finish this i've prattled on too long about uh, of europe um it's interesting there was uh, comments coming out from fiat chrysler's european one of their facilities i think it was last week and they were suggesting that they're only about a couple of weeks away from halting production because of problems sourcing chinese parts um, a number of their suppliers uh, in China now are close to, you know, not being able to supply them anymore. And again, this is this kind of global supply chain, which is starting to impact bits and pieces of the global economy now. And I think there's this sense of this coronavirus isn't well, pretty well sorted out, or at least the you know, factories really get going again in China in the next month or so, then we could see perhaps more of a global hit to the economy than, you know, certainly stock markets are currently anticipating anyway. Unless the stock markets are anticipating another round of rate cuts relative to this. It, right? it, may, it, it may be. I mean, it's got to be said stock markets tend to be very forward looking. Um, I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest, that they're quite where they are at the moment. I mean, you look around the screens and you know, virtually every stock market is either mm -hmm. at a record high or, or very close to it or multi-year highs mm -hmm. or whatever you like. So I think they are taking a view that, well, this is going to be a temporary hit to the economy and we'll get a quick recovery once you know, once the vaccine is being sorted out and everything else. But coming at a time when a big chunk of the global economy wasn't really in that great a shape in the first place, I'm kind of wondering if the bounce back, if this thing does persist for a while, may be uh, rather, you know, rather weak than many anticipating. Mm -hmm. Um, one last thing I mentioned is quickly some notices on the coronavirus, which might be interesting, and it will be useful when we get Brian on um, a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Singapore dollar last week may not be something we normally talk about, but um, it saw one of its sharpest falls in almost two years last Wednesday. And that seemed to reflect the fact that the Monetary Authority of Singapore, so their central bank, um, said that while the current policy stance is, you know, is fair enough, uh, the Singapore dollar still had room to weaken as a result of the coronavirus.
And it kind of wonders as if you're going to start getting into the risk of some sort of FX war, whereby those Asian current, those countries which are most hit by the coronavirus are going to start to look to acquire some kind of stimulus by allowing their currencies to weaken. And clearly, there are going to be a lot of other countries around the world which wouldn't be too happy were that to come about. Well, that's a that's a let's all remember twenty years ago, right? It was yep. um, um, the Asian ninety uh, seven uh, um, uh, currency meltdown, and yep. um, and that triggered all sorts of trouble. It did indeed. So very interesting times, one way or another. Okay, well, I guess we've been talking for quite a while. Anything else you want to chip in? We round off. Um, no, I I guess we're. Pretty well covered it. I guess what about the Fed is, are they going to tilt to um, the easing again um, in an election year? I'm not sure. They'll be the, uh, very reluctant to do it. Uh, maybe they, um, they're going to extend their repo purchases. Up, it looks like until June. They won't actually come out and say, and, and Powell kind of uh, in his... Uh, they, excuse me, weren't they talking about to April before? Have I got my... To April, right? And now, if, if you read the um, uh, what what the Fed people are saying, mm -hmm. it, June has popped in to the conversation. Oh, right, it, right. And so, but it's going to be gradual. So they're going to say that you know it's going to be less and less and less of an impact. But um, they haven't. It, it, it hasn't really come out exactly when they're going to stop. And that, but that's hundreds. That's a lot of money into the uh, banking system. And also China put a lot of money into the banking system. So we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars going into, um, into the banking system at this time, which is another factor uh, that will help limit um, the impact of the virus and also will help uh, veil uh, policy action if, if mm -hmm. they – so they don't have to actually do a monetary policy move with a with an official rate cut if on the side they're pumping money into the banking system. Yeah, yeah, supporting all these stock markets at interesting, let's say, levels. All right, okay then, let's wrap it up there. Um, from Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Uh, don't forget to tune in again next week. Uh, and in the meantime, don't forget, you can find all the key market moving data and events listed and analysed in Econoday's global economic calendar. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>